1: All right, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm happy to welcome Petri Tika from Helsinki, Finland. Petri has a Master's of Theology and is a Lutheran pastor and has worked for Lutheran parishes in Helsinki and Kotka, Finland. He is currently doing doctoral work on the topic of universal salvation in Christian theology, which he is pursuing from an ecumenical and Lutheran standpoint. He also has interest in the relationship between literature and spirituality, especially in the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien, and he is a published expert on Tolkien's invented languages. He also has an interest in music with a degree in singing, as well as a composer and a writer of hymns. So welcome, Petri, uh, to the podcast.
2: Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be in this podcast, especially, David, because I just read your book, which is an exciting book about grace. So and grace is very important to me. And thank you for the absolutely perfect intro to me. I feel very excited to be me right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well good. Well, I've I've met you. I've had a chance to hear you speak at some conferences and and you to me just have such an interesting story and perspective from your Lutheran background and being from Finland and just to realize that this conversation that we're having about grace is really a worldwide conversation that's going on right now. So, But I just wanted to start out to let people kind of get to know you a little bit in that you grew up, you really have a foundation growing up in the church. So you really were in the Lutheran church from the cradle. Is, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. I grew up in the church, attending church, you know, on a weekly basis, basically, with my parents. I'm I'm basically from the center area of the capital of Finland Helsinki and my uh, home church where I grew up in is called uh, it has a difficult name Temppeliaukio Church which means Temple Plaza Church but it's also called the Rock Church so it's actually built inside a rock the whole church and wow. I, it's an amazing church it's like it's difficult to describe please, please google the rock church uh Helsinki and you'll find pictures of it because it's it's very difficult to describe. But you feel like there's sort of a firmament on top, and then there's li- living rock, you know, with water flowing down, and you feel like you're enveloped by the presence of God. That's how I felt when I was growing up in the church, and I went to communion since I was like could eat solid food, and I was saying, trying to trying to say, uh, you know, like body of Christ. I was trying to say body. But I missed a couple of the words, so it would sound something like oddy. But I was trying to say the body of Christ because my parents taught me about it. So that's the way I grew up. I grew up feeling the presence of God and feeling that God is absolute, absolute love and acceptance. And my parents always taught me that God loves everybody and that God... The salvation is totally up to God and that we are not saved by our own power or by our own merits and also that God absolutely loved loves everybody and Christ died for everybody and I feel that also in the traditional Lutheran or, uh, liturgy which is also just the traditional liturgy of the ancient church and just before communion we always sing like uh, Lamb of God you who take away the sins of the world or the sin of the world have mercy on us so it's saying that gospel message that Christ takes away the sin of the whole world so i as a child i've realized as you know that i actually believed in universal salvation on a sort of a wholehearted level of course it's not the same sort of uh, intellectual uh, level well i was very intellectual as a child so that's not the correct word yeah. but you don't think about it consciously you just feel it Immediately between you and God as a child. Yeah, well, you know, in a way I, you,
1: yeah, yeah. In a way, you sound a little bit like I didn't. I didn't grow up in church, and so I have a different story. But my wife, she grew up. There's a there's a denomination in the in the U.S. called the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and this denomination, what we the history of it, we rejected uh, creeds as tests of fellowship, and what we said was, uh, in in our church, was that each person should believe in God and follow Jesus to the best of their understanding reading the Bible to the best of their understanding not being judgmental of others with love towards everyone and so what that what that meant was there were a lot of different perspectives in the church but it tended to, it tended much towards the teaching that God is love and and so my wife just grew up in in this church where she was just being taught that God God is love and God loves everybody and and Christ is the love of God come into the world. And as a child, she just remembered just radiating with that, you know, in sort of the way that children can, so that she just kind of knew in a way that that children know things, that God was absolute and pure love and goodness. And that was just kind of her foundation. And it sounds like that was for you too. So it sounds like Mm -hmm. a beautiful, a beautiful experience. But then as i heard your story as you 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 mentioned you're a very intellectual child and so as you were as you were growing up you started to realize okay i've got these two things that i believe very strongly that grace is the way that god saves us but grace is also going to everybody and that began to lead you in a direction that sort of took you to the boundary of where the lutheran church is 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 that a is that a fair way to explain yeah, it?
2: Yeah, it it's kind of a complicated process, like with all of us. So basically, what happened is that when I was like twelve years old or something, there was a Lutheran pastor who made a book called "Everybody's Going to Heaven." Uh, you know, in in Finnish, I don't I didn't read that book at that point, but I talked about it with my parents, and you know, my parents basically, uh, you know, have believed in universal salvation, you know ever since they've thought about the thing, especially my father, or that's what he says, you know. Of course, it's very complicated for all of us in a a world where it's not, you know, explicitly taught. So basically, that's been the heartfelt conviction of my parents anyway. But of course, they had the perspective that you need to have faith in order to be saved, you know. And this pastor that wrote the book, As far as I can see, uh, didn't have that perspective. So it was sort of like pluralistic, what people sometimes call pluralistic universalism, or universalism where Christ isn't the only way to salvation, or but you can have multiple ways. You know, are you familiar with
1: John Hick? You familiar with John Hick? Yes, yes. Yeah, that that was kind of you know that's kind of the way that. That if you're Christian and you talk about universalism, that must mean you're some form of Christian pluralist, whereas, okay, so Jesus is our way of getting there, but people have other ways of getting there. So being a universalist means that you don't believe that everybody comes through Christ.
2: Yeah, that's that's basically what he sounds like. Of course, I don't want to be. He's this person who wrote this book is actually a very nice person, and he also spe- he also has been or has already made his uh, thesis about a completely different topic. He started to make his thesis in the University of Helsinki at the same time as I started to write my doctoral dissertation. So actually, I met him. So mm-hmm. and he's a very nice person, but the problem is that you know uh, he he even has very good arguments based on the god's love and such but really the christ centeredness was and is as far as i can see the issue and and that was the issue for me because that's the that's the only teaching i heard from the general church about universal salvation like I only heard that it can lead to sort of pluralism so basically what happened to me I'm not saying it was the fault of this book or hearing about the book but basically I started to imbibe the general atmosphere that you can feel in capital cities of big of countries you know around the world where you have this sort of pluralistic atmosphere and I started to think that every road leads to heaven when I was like 12 and Fourteen and fifteen and so
1: on, right? So yeah, because to- you're exposed, because you're exposed to all those different cultures. You're actually meeting all, seeing all those different kinds of
2: people. Yeah, and, but basically for me, it was also about reading about a lot of stuff, and I wanted to be intellectual, and I wanted to be inclusive, and then my parents were trying to tell me that you know but it's of course difficult to articulate with a teenager maybe you know but mm-hmm. they were trying to artic- they were trying to be understanding but they i think they were trying to articulate that it's actually faith in Jesus that's very important but they weren't trying to contradict me because that's not the way they they raised their children so anyway mm-hmm. so what happened then is that then i was 16 i was in uh, the finnish equivalent to a, to a high school and uh, i had you know well, what happened before that, I actually read a thing that's been very important to my personal faith and believing in, especially Grace, are yeah. J.R.R. R. Tolkien's books. The, uh, and especially in this regards, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, because the main hero in those I read those books when I was like, before the mo- just before the movies came out. Uh, I was like 15 or something. And I read those books actually in English. I've never read them in Finnish. I'm trying to read them in Finnish now with my my wife, who's an oh, American. Okay. Yeah. So anyway. Oh, that's interesting. Is, yeah. So the point is that I'm, I'm reading. I was I read the books, and then what happened is that I got a very very powerful sense of God's grace in those books because the main hero, you know, uh, basically. And I won't care about spoilers now because I expect everybody has read it or will read it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the main point is that the hero Frodo doesn't seem to succeed, but he's merciful to this other person, uh, Gollum, who's yes. completely, you know, you know, addicted to the powerful, all evil ring, and he's merciful to that person, and because of that mercy uh because of not like letting you know because of not being mean to that person the gollum basically survives and because he survives gollum ends up destroying the ring even though frodo also wants the ring so frodo basically fails totally but st- he's still the hero of the book and that felt very powerful to me because you don't find that many books where the hero seems to totally fail but he's still the hero because of the grace that he showed to this column so which yeah, i think that, is is a sign of god's grace working in in that character so i felt a very powerful experience of god's grace in that book which really affected me and yeah and and that led me to be interested in Tolkien's world and Tolkien's languages which i have studied one of the languages is based on finnish uh, and that's okay. why i've made i've made songs in the language if you google uh finnish tango in elvish you will find a very interesting thing i won't go into that right now because, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so uh Anyway, what happened is that Tolkien was very important to me, and I think he helped me in, you know, already in, in believing in God's grace, grace, and also C.S. Lewis's books, Narnia books. My parents have read; my mother read them to us out loud to us as bedtime uh-huh. stories when we were young, and I continued reading them. And Lewis was important to me. I think I read uh, other books by Lewis at that point and later, like. He was important to you, also. I see in the book, right. so that's very, very interesting. Because and I mean, then later found
1: out about George MacDonald uh, mm-hmm. through through Tolkien and his, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the things he was writing was very powerful too.
2: Mm. Are you mean through Lewis?
1: Well, yeah, because uh, because Lewis mentions uh, George MacDonald mm-hmm. and says that's that right. you know speaks very positively of George MacDonald, and then once I started to study George MacDonald, I realized that MacDonald. George MacDonald had an even more powerful understanding of grace than Lewis did.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right, but Lewis is sort of going into that direction, I would say, right. and you could see that in the seventh book of the series with that, with that, basically Islamic character who is still pardoned by, by Aslan, you know. So mm-hmm. that's very interesting, and and I don't think he's trying to be a pluralistic person there, you know. But it, that's sort of a more complicated issue, anyway. The point is, that when I was talking about Lewis and Tolkien, I think they are ultimately about both of them that have this atmosphere of Christian grace in their books and in their, you know, both in their sort of fic- fictional novels and whatever they've written explicitly about Christianity. Because Tolkien has also has written some letters which are also ex- which explicitly deal with this idea of
1: grace. So I think so it's very important.
2: Keeps, yeah.
1: Yeah, grace keeps coming up over and over in this in this conversation and and ultimately you go towards uh, becoming a lutheran becoming ordained in the lutheran church and then and then ongoing studies in in theology and, and one of the things that you're working on right now is really how do, how can Lutheran Lutheranism really claim, forcefully claim, both sides of its traditional understanding of grace being that which saves and that which goes to all?
2: Yeah, that's exactly, that's one of the things that I'm exactly thinking about. And what happened, though, if I can return to what happened, like, I, I would just like to explain how those things became even more consciously important okay. to me. So what basically happened to me that I was in high school or the Finnish equivalent of high school, and then there was a, uh, there was, they teach, they actually teach philosophy in high school in Finland, which is a very good thing. But my teacher of philosophy was a strong agnostic or even an atheist, uh, and he was ignoring medieval theology, which is about God in his teaching of philosophy. And mm-hmm. I was angry at that because I thought that you have to pay attention. I wasn't saying that he has to be a Christian, but you have to pay attention to the Christian roots of philosophy also in order for to have a fully rounded. There view. has
1: kind of to be a metaphysics that's involved that, too.
2: Mm, that's right. You would have to, you know, you have to know even if you deny God, you have to know what you're denying. You know, but he was just ignoring it, which irked me to no end. And I deliberately when there was the when we had the uh, test at the end of the class. I, I basically said that the because he gave us a free option to answer however we like. What what are our opinions about philosophy? And I said philosophy is based about on Jesus, basically. <laughs> and then I got an F for the test. But my father complained about that, and then I passed the class anyway. But that was really quite a hard thing on me because I felt not only this thing about getting an F, which uh, uh, but which is, of course, very rare for me and completely unfair <laughs> to boot. But uh, anyway, what I'm saying is that then I realized that there are people who say that love... Because basically, he wasn't only saying that God might be a lie. He was saying that the universe might be a lie, that humanity might be a lie, and love might be a lie, like basically sort of a matrix philosophy or a potential yeah. matrix philosophy. He was even explicitly saying that,
1: that in some of his classes. And I yeah. felt that anyway, kind of like in, my, post, in my spirit. Yeah, like, like a postmodern philosophy that rejects uh, any kind of metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I would say, and
2: what happened to me then? And then I decided that I really, and I felt that that it what's really important to me is believing that Christ has affirmed God's love and humanity. That love is real. Love between people is real. That humanity is real because Christ, because God became human in order to make prove that you know he love is real and humanity is real. And that he loves you and what and also like that he defeats all of these lies which try to diminish the reality of love and the reality of human relationships and through the cross that happens through the cross. So incarnation and atonement became important for me intellectually and in my heart in a more in a more conscious manner, uh, so that I rejected all pluralism. At the same time. Mm-hmm. But I also to- uh, thought that you have to abandon universal salvation uh, because I thought that it was associated with un- pluralism. But I never was like a, I was al- always something of a hopeful universalist in the sense that I always wanted everybody to be saved, but I thought that it has to be theoretically possible that somebody's not saved because mm-hmm. I just thought that that has to be the case, but it never worked again with the Lutheran premises, which are the same as the uh, inclusive approach that you have in your book. And the premises are that God is powerful to save uh, in his grace, and he does all of it in through his grace all of the things that relate to salvation and the second premise is that god's love and god's grace extends to everybody through jesus christ so both of these premises which i've had since my childhood and also they're just basic christian and also lutheran premises and in lutheranism Mm -hmm. you've had both of these you didn't reject either of them which is actually right. a complicated problem, and I'll come to that soon enough.
1: Yeah. But, okay.
2: Yeah, but what happened to me is then I started to study theology because I liked going to church, and I decided to go to church every Sunday, and uh, and my mother actually was all is also a Lutheran pastor, and I have. There's more to that, but uh, I won't go into details <laughs> of my ancient ancient uh, lineage right now. But a- anyway, uh, what happened is that I studied theology, and there was one thing that was very nice about studying theology in the facu- faculty of theology in the University of Helsinki. One thing that I can see that was very nice, and it's that they mentioned the existence of Gregory of Nyssa, and okay. so I yeah, so I knew I didn't really read him, but I knew that it was a valid Christian option to be a Christian universalist. So I didn't think that it was a heresy, you know, if you had a Christ-minded approach to it. But I still well, thought yes, that I, I, know, I because
1: Gregory of know. Gregory of Nyssa was, by the Seventh Church Council, was declared the father of the fathers. That's so right. Could, and, that's, and, he was, mm-hmm. and he was involved with the, the formation of uh, the Nicene Creed and Christian's understanding of the nature of God. And and he was actually involved in Trying to clarify what was acceptable in Christianity and what wasn't, and so that he would that he would have this understanding. How could that be out of bounds in Christianity if this was Gregory of Nyssa's opinion?
2: Mm-hmm. And that's exactly right. And that's why I I just knew that it wasn't like an invalid option. You know, that's what I knew already. But my problem always was that I want everybody to have a personal, the way that evangelicals would phrase it is that to have a personal relationship with jesus or as a lutheran i would just fa- phrase it as having faith personal faith in jesus so i wanted everybody to have that and i didn't know of a system because i didn't start to study it in because i didn't want to encounter pluralistic universalism so i didn't know the details of a system where faith you know Where you could solve this problem because I want everybody to be saved, but I don't want it to happen without faith in Jesus. You know, so how do I? How do? How does this happen? You know, you can just talk about grace enabling everything and grace uh, saving. uh, You know, grace extending to all, but we all see people who don't believe. But how can we have confidence for them? So, uh, and I didn't know how to, I just always, whenever I encountered the problem of what about those people who somehow end up not believing, or people, you know, because I thought it might be possible that people will end up not believing, not because of necessarily, you know, free will, because Lutherans don't believe originally, at least in the freedom of the will in regards to salvation. So I didn't think that people will reject a God because of their free will, but I just, experientially saw people who don't believe and seem to refuse faith even though though i thought that there was all the good reasons for believing in it so i was just thinking that maybe it is the case that somebody will end up not being saved but i felt bad about that because i wanted everybody to be saved because of these lutheran and christian premises that i already had so it was Mm -hmm. a total total conundrum for me and every time there was a uh, uh, there was a at time that I thought about it, I was totally in a horrible state of anxiety, you know. And usually, it didn't last for long because I was able to shut it off. But it's an incredible state, and I would, I'm, I'm just—I'm talk- not even talking about the reality of somebody going to eternal conscious torment. I—I'm talking about uh, even the merest, slightest possibility of somebody going to eternal conscious torment, even that was too too much for me. Because you're talking yeah. about a real person who might end up there. A real person who I know God loves because God loves everybody. A real person who God, Christ did everything to save them and to give them grace through the, through proclamation and through Christ's death and everything. And still, somehow, there would be a person who wouldn't believe. I I, I just didn't know how they could have faith so i just thought that oh you they cannot have faith but then i had several experiences like i encountered this also i became a lutheran ordained lutheran pastor and i got, mm-hmm. uh, encountered this question from an uh, a person who was a from i think there was at least uh you know i was a youth pastor at first and there was one young person who asked like who was uh, you know, questioning Christianity because if Christ died for everybody, why isn't everybody going to be saved? So I was just mm-hmm. unable to answer that question at that point. And you know, also if you want to talk about if one wants to talk about personal experiences, and I think it might be interesting for people to hear about this too, is that you know my uh, original, the original person I was in love with and still am in love with is my wife, Katie who's an American, yeah. and I encountered him, her. I'm sorry, I, I confuse him and her because they're the same word in, in Finnish. We don't have <laughs> in, in pronouns. So so sorry about that. I, I can't help it. Anyway, even with my wife for some reason, which is ridiculous. But anyway, uh, my wife, Katie, who was my internet love or whatever you would say when I was younger, I got to know her through Tolkien, uh, uh, to interest in Tolkien's languages. You know, she was my original love and and then there was
1: a complicated thing that was happening that we weren't so much in contact anymore and so this this was coming to you these questions were coming to you from, from emotional relationship from your theology your church they they just kept coming to you in they, all kinds of different ways. Yes,
2: and they kept so you know they kept on coming theologically. People kept on asking them in all kinds of settings whether in church settings or, you know, person-to-person settings, all kinds of people, you know, were asking it. I was, And then I was emotionally asking it because this is the emotional aspect because Mm -hmm. everything about that person, whether it's faith or whatever, God will absolutely take care of that person. So if I believe that concretely about that person, that God's taking care of that person, logically, because I believe that God loves all, I believe that God will take care of absolutely everybody. So, right. so I knew that it also apply. It should also apply to faith, you know, because I thought about also in regards to faith about that person, you know, that mm-hmm. God will take care of also the faith of that person. So then I suddenly it was the it was uh, you know the day one of the twelve days of Christmas, which are between Christmas, the twenty fifth of December, and Epiphany, the sixth of January. It was in, during those. Days of Christmas between 2012 mm-hmm. and 2013, that I that there was a big crisis which solved the whole issue of universal salvation for my mind and my heart. And what happened is is that I read an article by a very you know there's a very there are several the Lutheran Church is far, by far the biggest. Church in Finland with like seventy percent of the whole population officially oh, okay. belonging to that church, but there are several small groups uh, in the church who, who uh, you know who have different sort of views and uh, called awakening movements so this move one of these movements is very much it's co- actually called evangelical the evangelical movement but it's not the same as American evangelicalism it's more about being very very Lutheran you know, this evangelical okay. movement. And I read an article online where somebody who was very Lutheran who was claiming that once you are, you're you have died and you haven't believed in Jesus, there's no hope for you. So basically, it's, uh, you know, implying that universal salvation is absolutely cannot be correct. And this right. just irked me, you know, again to no end, like my previous experience with a teacher of philosophy, it really irked me. This just this random article because I thought that again the Lutheran premise is that God loves everybody and Christ died for everybody. So, uh, what does this mean then in regards if somebody if God loves everybody? I already knew that God's love means that I had learned that through my personal experience that right. God that God will take care of the faith of a person because that's the only way I got through a difficult time is right. that god takes care of a person so god's love should mean god's powerful love you know should mean that he will take care of the faith of anybody you know so this sort of what you would might call uh, even a reformed perspective that god is taking care of of a person it right. means you know that of you know of their salvation it means that he will actually accomplish that faith but I still didn't know how it would happen or how does it relate to the cross or other christian doctrines because if you just say that god will take care of the faith that didn't really tell me anything i was just utterly perplexed and i didn't know what to do because i still didn't want to be a pluralistic universalist who just be- believes that people uh, are saved without without christ you know on right. because i wanted salvation to happen through christ and i wanted faith to come through christ so then i just i was utterly just confounded and i my only string of hope was knowing about gregory of nissa that was yes. my but that was my hope there's gregory of Nyssa. there has to be a solution but i didn't read gregory of Nyssa, i was too perplexed and and anxious but i i was very very anxious and perplexed and and it's beyond even words you know as you might as anyone might know with a situation like that and and then i was in the i was a minister in in kotka i was in my i was alone in my apartment and uh, i suddenly i was very <laughs> i was i was feeling very bad but then i just had what i could call a vision of the cross a vision of the father the son and the holy spirit and what they mm-hmm. intended with the sacrifice of the cross and there are several aspects here but all but they ultimately relate to this how faith comes to everybody so mm-hmm. the first thing is that the father didn't give his son to die only for a potential salvation so what i mean what i felt there that it was an intellectual vision sort of but also emotional And Mm -hmm. what I mean with the vision, with that aspect of the Father's love, is that if you have a son, you want their death to mean something, to mean what it's actually intended to mean. So I already Mm -hmm. knew that Christ died for everybody. So if the Father gives his son in order to affect salvation for everybody, that also actually has to happen, because otherwise the Father would give his son to die up for less than he actually in, for less than the son actually wanted, because you mm. know what that means is that you belitt- you belittle the sacrifice of the cross. You might say, "Oh, it's so much that Christ saves almost everybody," but that's not why Christ died. Because the the second aspect is that the son died for every person or for every individual who might be in that situation, because he just carries the individual person's horrible anxieties and sins and everything that might affect that person. Because that's what Mm -hmm. I already felt for myself when I was 16, but I realized that that sacrifice, the Father won't let that only pertain to random individuals, but Christ really died in order to carry the totality of absolute sin on an individual, case-by-case basis so, so that was th- a
1: very powerful that was a very powerful uh, kind of vision for you then to just of more the pieces are starting to come together for you
2: that's right and the and the third piece is really like relating to this idea of a faith how my problem was faith how how does everybody get faith because i didn't have that sort of free will mindset which you could try to talk about how people might accept Christ did blah, blah, blah. But I was thinking about how does the God affect it? And the answer for me with, through that vision was that the Holy Spirit was also on the cross, like the Father and the Son. You know, The Father was present with the Son on the cross, even though the Son didn't emotionally feel it. But I really believe that all three persons were present at the cross. And the, what the presence of the Holy Spirit means, because, you know, the Bible says that the Son gave up His Spirit, but I just felt that the Spirit also has to logically and emotionally be there. And in traditional theology, you say that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives faith, who gives birth to faith, or who gives birth to life. So if the sacrifice of the Son and the sacrifice of, I would also say, the Father means something, it means that, you know obviously that they did it for everybody, but for the Holy Spirit who gives faith, it means that he will work out what the Father and the Son intended on the cross, because otherwise the Holy Spirit would have nothing to do, you know. And, yeah, and I've this heard was, it
1: said before that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate evangelist.
2: That's exactly the case. That's exactly the case. And then I had this vision and I realized that the Holy Spirit is gonna give faith to everybody because of these reasons and because of the cross. And then I just read the Bible and realized that you can read it completely differently. And you and I, I think I already uh, figured out what Philippians two means. You know this vision about uh, every tongue praising God. And always in the in when I've had a hymn or whatever where they sing about every tongue praising God, I've always felt that's powerful. But of course. It's literally true in Philippians 2. And I think it should always be considered literally true that everybody shall praise God in the end and confess yeah, and Jesus good, and Christ good as to, Lord.
1: One of the things that sort of helped me too was, was I used to think that, oh, I came to the point where I had faith. And then the more I thought about it, I thought there's there's some prior work that's been going on here, nudging me in this mm. direction. And so it's kind of like if you wake up and at first you don't realize that somebody had had sort of nudged you, you thought you woke up on your own. But in other words, I started to believe that 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 faith was a gift Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: that if I had it, it was because there were lots of things that had prepared me. And then there was the moment that my eyes came open to it. But Mm -hmm. just like when I wake up, I don't credit myself for waking up. I just woke up. There was a certain point. There was a certain moment at which I woke up to it, and so uh, one of the things that helped me was to was to realize that well, faith wasn't something that I had as much as faith was a gift that I awakened to uh-huh. at a certain point. And then that helped me in my theology to make everything grace.
2: You are exactly right about the faith being a, a gift, and the problem with me, for me was that the conundrum that I always had is that I knew that faith was a gift, because my parents had taught me that, and my father especially. My father is a composer and a conductor, and he's made a song called uh, Grace Song, actually, which is based on Mm -hmm. Ephesians 2, and uh, so that by grace you are saved. And even faith is not your own. For by grace you have been saved, and even faith is not your own. It's the gift of God for us, and not the works that we have done. And so on. Don't let anybody boast of this. It's God's great gift. Amen. Anyway, that's the mentality. That my right. my father composed that song, and he's even explicitly said to me many times that faith is a gift. So I just didn't know how it would extend, uh, you know, concretely, to mm-hmm. each individual case. So then I talked with my parents after I had this vision, and I, to my surprise, and this is a very weird situation, uh, I realized I had thought I had thought that they, I thought that they didn't believe in universal salvation. Which is a weird situation, because they believed mm-hmm. in universal salvation all along you know i don't know to exactly of course it's difficult to say uh state that in a in a world where it's not usually uh, thought about you know, so I'm not saying that it it's just a very weird situation that for ten years, I thought my parents didn't believe in universal salvation because i just thought that as a christian you don't believe in universal salvation at least not as a certain possibility but then my parents said that yes we do believe in universal salvation and actually my grandmother also my uh, my mother's mother found that all through reading the bible when a friend when a friend of hers had committed suicide she found uh, and without and having lost faith this friend of hers my grandmother just read uh, St. Paul saying that everybody shall be saved as if through fire. So this is actually a family heritage that I had, and I wasn't fully aware of it because of being confused by what Mm -hmm. the official church tends to teach for, I would say, a little bit inexplicable reasons, but sort of understandable. But the thing is that then my father also told me some of his favorite verses, which include that uh, Paul's verses like uh, the Holy Spirit inspiring, you know, like if anybody says that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that relates to Philippians 2 in his mind, which says that uh, every tongue shall confess Jesus as Lord. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit that everybody shall confess. And this connects to my vision where the Holy Spirit inspires faith ultimately in everybody. And this is why I started to... Uh, I... I then I've always, I always wanted to be an academic person ever since I was a young child. But then I mm-hmm. decided that I should uh, do my thesis about specifically the topic of universal salvation and how you are to understand it, you know, relating to the Trinity, relating to God's love, and relating to the, the, the w- different ways that the Holy Spirit makes it happen. So that's basically what I'm,
1: I'm writing it about. So, you're working on that right now as part of a is a, that would be a doctoral program that that's exactly right, you know
2: and uh, and I, that's how I met you then in a couple of those conferences in America right. because they they sponsored me for uh, going to America to these conferences, which is very nice of
1: them. Well, how is this how is this work being received among your academic colleagues and what you're what you're working on? Well, it just depends on who
2: you ask, basically. You know, recently I I had a conference in Finland, which was mostly online because of pandemic reasons. It's called the HOPE Conference. And if you Google that, you will find it. Uh, Hope, Hope, conference, conference.
1: HOPE Conference in Finland.
2: That's right. So basically, you know, uh, what happened, you know, is that I've been actually very kindly supported by, you know, uh, you know by several different instances in Finland like the like the there was a christian magazine the christian magazine that's uh, read uh, the most over throughout all finland sponsored this or was involved in the conference so that was actually very nice uh, and oh, then yeah and so i think a lot of people actually read about it uh, but you know about this conference happening and uh, also my you know i'm part you know in finland a lot of people belong to unions and i believe to a, i belong to a union for pastors for lutheran pastors and they've also supported my thesis and this conference so there's a lot of interest in this topic but the complicated thing in in finland i would say and this doesn't re- relate only to sort of academic thing but in general if you talk talk about this subject is that i think in finland in the big lutheran church or generally in the culture people don't think about things relating to what i would what one would call eschatology or the final things the ultimate things so it's right. very often you think about ethics so i think this is a rather perplexing topic for quite a lot of people because what happened i think what I started to happen in Finland, in a lot of uh, in the big Lutheran church, and in a lot of a lot of other big churches around the world, I would say, is that people were so scared of the teaching of eternal conscious torment, or of or of the traditional or whatever conception of hell, that they sort of started started to ignore everything, even heaven and even resurrection. You know, at least on the level of like church, you know, activities and talking in sermons and stuff. So. I'm often like people are rather perplexed about what I'm even doing, you know. And I'm not necessarily talking about academia, even though maybe that. So it's not always very easy for me to sort of get my message across or what I'm even trying to do, even though it should sound quite simple in a way that Christ is saving all. But even the idea of somebody being saved sounds utterly perplexing to to finish Lutherans and non-Lutheran Finns too which is a very odd thing to say, because it's just a general part of, the, of Christianity, the idea of salvation and the idea of having faith and union with God ultimately.
1: Well, the thing that, one of the things that's important to me about this is that there are people that, that they think that, okay, if, if, if I start to believe that, um, that God in Christ is saving the whole world, then I can't be a Christian. For some you know they think oh well if i believe that then i can't really participate in you know organized christianity anymore that's that, that doesn't hap- yeah that doesn't happen to me that much here in my context at least fortunately yeah well then there's people who uh, who think well i i can't i can't I, I jesus is wonderful but i can't be a christian because in order to be a christian i have to believe in a god who puts people in hell forever and I can't understand that, and so I might I might take some of take to heart some of the teachings of Jesus, but I can't be a Christian because Christ, to be a Christian means I have to believe in a God who puts people in hell forever, and I just can't wrap my my mind around that, so I can't be a Christian.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and that's a problem also in Finland, especially I would say if people have a lot of encounters with like. Certain Pentecostal groups, or certain you know smaller church groups, even within the Lutheran Church, because they are smaller groups, even though the bigger bigger Lutheran Church doesn't really say that much about hell usually, but you know either pro or con which is Mm -hmm. sort of a weird situation. But the smaller groups are very vocal. And unfortunately, people associate even the bigger Lutheran church with this sort of a vocal thing because they are the only ones who are talking about it. And that's basically what happened to me. When I I studied, when I tried to find info about hell, I, I found that it has to be accepted, you know, absolutely, even though I knew also that it doesn't necessarily have to be true so i was never like one of those people who thinks that it has to be true otherwise you're not a christian and i don't encounter that 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 idea very much what happens to me if somebody's a, you know a, you know a lutheran a, a church going lutheran and they are against what i believe they say that oh why do you say that because if you say that then proclamation is useless And there's no point in baptizing anybody. There's no point in having Holy Communion because everybody's ending up in heaven anyway. So it's sort of like in evangelicalism, I think what might happen is that people's first objection, one of the first objections might be that, oh, why believe in God? Why do evangelism? You know, so what happens in my context, it's like, you know, and this is a problem in, in Lutheranism is that, you know, stated some... Theologians like uh, the late great Gerhard Fordy uh, says that if you proclaim, if you talk about universal salvation, that might be all fine and dandy, but then you forget to preach to people in the here and now that Christ is saving them right in the here and now and forgiving them and and justifying them, which is sort of I would say it's sort of a weird view, but people really are even if they're not against the hope of the future. They, in Lutheran Church, you are so involved, not because of just some modern thinking about there not being a, a heaven or a hell or anything at all, but in mm-hmm. Lutheran Church, you're so involved with the present moment and the present feeling of grace that you sort of forget about the uh, hope aspect, and you think that hope might even be some sort of a, a thing that impedes you know proclamation it, it sounds utterly perplexing to me and i don't know how relevant it is to listeners but i what i think is relevant to listeners in america or elsewhere is the very interesting thing about lutheranism in, in any way which I, I think we've been leading up to and the interesting thing is that you know we were talking about the you know the two aspects which you talk about in your book that there's this idea that uh, grace is the only thing that does everything for our salvation. And the second mm-hmm. aspect is that a grace extends to everybody. And right. usually you only have one of these because you also have the idea of, uh, of eternal conscious torment. And uh, what Lutheran, because you you might say in the Reformed Calvinistic tradition is that Grace, God does everybody everything to save people, but then mm-hmm. he decides because of his might and his uh, glory to only choose certain people. So then some people go to hell. So grace doesn't extend to everybody. And in the uh, sort of uh, Armenian tradition, you say that God's grace extends to everybody, but then what happens is that people have free will and God doesn't force any, everybody, anybody, so then people... You know, God isn't the one who's in charge. It's ultimately something about our free will that's in charge. Right. But Lutheranism affirms both the sovereignty of God to save and the all-extensive nature nature
1: of His grace. Well, that, which, that's that's the thing that's so interesting to me about Lutheranism is that it affirms both of those things so strongly that it creates, sort of, in my mind, it creates almost a logical necessity for a universal salvation.
2: Yes, and actually this has been a problem in Lutheran theology since at least the 17th century. The conundrum of everything in Lutheranism leading to universal salvation, that conundrum is called the cross of the theologians, in Latin crux theologorum, which means is that you know the logical Lutheranism the fact that we are not the ones who decide whether we are saved or not and that god loves everybody and christ died for everybody all of that should lead to the fact that that the you know the i would say the spirit of god actually then accomplishes that salvation for everybody yes. on a personal level so and this has been acknowledged that everything in Lutheranism should lead to universal salvation but the reason the reasons why it's not accepted is basically the main reason is just that people think that it's not in the Bible and it's just a mystery that's left unconsciously unexplained, even knowing actually that it's a, it's a logical conundrum and which is a very weird position, but this is still held, I think quite a lot in Lutheranism that people even might know if they're very well educated that it should lead to universal salvation, but they refuse to accept it because they think that the Bible has these passages about about judgment and you should take judgment seriously anyway. And also the second aspect is that, like especially in more modern theology, like the person I mentioned, they think that if you start to preach about hope for all, you forget about the present moment of preaching about grace be- belonging to you right <laughs> now
1: thing that that brings to my mind is, is how we think about proclaiming the gospel. Because if you proclaim the gospel as if salvation, the good news is that salvation is about what happens after you die, then you miss proclaiming the gospel that Jesus proclaimed about the good news that the kingdom of God is here right now and that we can begin to enter in right now and live in God's kingdom on earth as in heaven and about the importance of the community of disciples that are to gather together in order to be a living manifest witness of the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven and how important all of that is. And I was thinking maybe uh, what we could do is uh, get together, have another conversation, and maybe talk about uh, how we would think about proclaiming the gospel in, in, in a way that really captures the importance of the response now but also contains in it the powerful the powerful proclamation that that what God is doing right now is is the first fruits of of a larger project about the restoration finally of the of the entire creation but we can begin to participate in that now so what do you say we we have another episode and we just talk about the gospel
2: that's exactly what i want to do
1: Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for this, uh, for this introduction, and I think people have gotten a good idea. What I appreciate uh, really about you is your, the intense background in the Lutheran Church, which takes me back to the Protestant Reformation, which really had these two ideas together, that salvation is by grace alone and that God extends His grace to all people. I think this is a very powerful uh, conversation. So uh, saying that, look forward to the next time that we'll uh, get together and talk about the gospel.
2: That's great.
0: All right. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.